Hello, everyone. Welcome into another to the point podcast. Everybody's doing well on this Tuesday, and I had to wait to jump on today because this afternoon I get off work and I'm thinking I can't podcast right now. There's a live sporting event that is a must watch, and that was the U.S. Open, which I've been talking about for the last week and change. But how just how great this major has been, how upsets galore. Teenagers are somehow, you know, dominating the tournament, putting themselves on the map. Canada has has jumped into the tennis scene. They have John McEnroe saying, I didn't know Canadians are supposed to be this good at tennis. I knew they were good at hockey. What the hell is going on here? But this afternoon, it was world number three, Elena Svitolina, who has been ranked inside the top 10 for 245 straight weeks, the longest active streak in women's tennis. Against now 19-year-old Layla Fernandez, who just turned 19 yesterday, September 6th. And prior to this tournament, I did know about Layla. Um, obviously, I mentioned before, it must be getting annoying at this point, but she lost her first round at Cincinnati. She lost her first round at the Rogers Cup. But at major tournaments, she hasn't had much success. She's just been there, um, for lack of a better term. She's been the first round, second round, but it's quick exits. It's it's a cup of coffee. And we go into this U.S. Open where she has no expectations. And that's a perfect place to be. She's 18, now 19. You win a couple matches, you're going to get the biggest payday of your career. And that, that's just house money. You're playing. You know, you got, you got nothing to lose, everything to gain. And so far, that's exactly the script that's being written. We are five matches into the U.S. Open. And one of the four remaining women, the first woman to book her ticket to the semifinal is Canada's Layla Fernandez. This afternoon, she had a two-hour and almost 20-minute match against Alina Svetolina. And she came out on top. And what a match it was. What theater it was this afternoon. And there's been some really good men's tennis matches at this major. This major's been fantastic. Women's been better. And I don't root for people. As you know, if you listen to me, I don't care who wins. I wasn't rooting for Leila Fernandez this afternoon. If she lost, it doesn't hurt me. If, you know, if the Patriots win, it doesn't matter to me. But what I can point out is that this summer, the summer of 2021, we're still in summer. It is September. The weather is getting colder. Nice day today. But we'll soon see, you know, my shorts go away. And we'll see people start wearing heavier coats. But the summer of 2021 in Canada is about women's sports. Point blank and the period. And it, I don't think it's really debatable. If, before I get to that point about the, the Lou Marsh, you know, award winner, this summer has just been about women. You look at Canadian women, the Canadian women's soccer team won gold in Beijing. That was groundbreaking. It put Canada on the map in soccer the way 
our men's program has not even gotten close to. We're the men's programs in World Cup qualifying, and they tied the U.S. men who aren't that great in soccer. And now it's you know they're throwing a victory parade on Sportsnet. They tied the game. They tied Honduras. Yet we're throwing pom poms around when our women are actually winning. No draws, not a tie. They're winning. That's what sports is. You win. And the U.S., that's okay, great. Yeah, they, they're probably not going to qualify for 2022 World Cups and they'll try for 2024, which who knows? Maybe the program will get better and they will. And then they'll get automatic bid in 2028 when Mexico, the U.S., and Canada host. So way to go. You qualify for the World Cup by proxy. Um, but the U, the, the uh, Canadian women soccer won a gold medal. That's not, that's definitive. It's not a draw. It's a win. The Canadian women's world championship, they won the gold medal. They beat the United States in overtime. Mary, Marie Poulin got the overtime winner. They are victorious. They won the title. Definitive, no argument. Again, those two teams were full of women. So now we go to this team. An 18-year-old who is starting, it's starting to look like a magic carpet ride that she's on, is into the semifinal of a major. Now, winning at this U.S. Open would put Layla Fernandez in the conversation with Serena Williams, with Chrissy Everett, with Martina Navratilova. Not about all-time greatness, but winning a tournament at this young of an age. Maria Sharapova won a, won a major at 17. Winning a major before you're 20 years old is so impressive. And she's two victories away from doing that. There's still a lot of tennis left to be played. She's going to have a tough opponent. But what I liked and what I still like from her is that she plays with an aggression. She jumps on second serves. She hits the ball so deep into the court, it makes it very difficult on her opponent to give anything back that's, that she can't hammer home a winner. And she plays with aggression. She's not a counter puncher. She is very much, I'm going to bring it to you. And I like that in an athlete, especially a tennis player. Be the aggressor. Drive the point. Drive the match. And she's been driving the match against Angelique Kerber, Naomi Osaka, Alina Svetolina. Osaka, number two in the world. Svetolina, three in the world. Angelique Kerber, a four-time major champion, was once ranked number one in the world. She's been driving and she's been the, she's been the, just, she's ran these matches against these type of players. And today, she wins the first set. Second set, she gets down. But what I did like about the second set, she was down 5-1. But she got a break back. She, at 5-1, Svetlina served for the set. Layla broke her. And that meant something to me. It showed, okay, maybe this will carry on some momentum into the third set, which I believe it did. But it just creeps that doubt in the back of your mind, just saying, I'm not going anywhere. Okay, you might go the better of me in this set, but in the next one, I'm game. 
I'm not losing confidence just because I'm 19. I'm inexperienced. I don't care. I'm bringing it to you. And Svitolina ended up winning the set 6-3, but I did think that had, had an impact. Now, we did see Layla's inexperience because she led 5-2 in the third set. And I'm watching, I'm like, hey, well, this is going to be over. But she gets broken. Svitolina holds. Broken again, and we're at five all. I'm like, uh-oh. You know, for I'm like, okay, this is curtain call on her tournament. But at five all, she comes up with a big clutch service game. It gets to deuce, but she holds her serve. It shows again her lack of fear. To me, it's like Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is terrible at free throws, but he knows he's not a very good free throw shooter, but he will still go to the line and get fouled and try to shoot them. And in game six of the NBA finals, he went 17 for 19 from the three throw line. So he would airball some in the other games, but it's that lack of fear as an athlete saying, can I not be the best at this? I might've just got broken twice in two straight service games, but I'm not backing down. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to play the same way I did throughout this match, throughout this tournament to get me to this point. And I see the comparison saying, I'm going to serve the way I want to serve. It might get tight, but like Giannis, in that big moment, I will come up with the goods. And Layla did. She held her serve. Svitolina held, and we go to a tie break. And again, she has a big lead, 4-1. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, Svitolina is getting frustrated. 4-2 in the changeover. All of a sudden, it's 4-4. But Layla's serve comes back, helps her again. She get, gets the next two points. She goes up 6-5, and she comes up with a 6-5 in the tie break. Big serve. Svitolina hits it long. She's into the semifinal. And it, it's an unbelievable story that we're seeing, you know, just two years removed from Bianca Andreescu, where it was really unheard of of any Canadian tennis player, uh, male or female, to get to, to get to a final and re- realistically expect to win. Let's be honest. When Milos Raonic played Andy Murray and played Roger Federer in Grand Slam finals, he didn't win a set, and I didn't think he'd win a set. I didn't think he had a chance to win. Now, some people say, okay, you're a hater, and you're, you're, rooting, you know, you're not even giving our Canadian a chance. I was right. And that's just being realistic. Whether it's a hater that's called being right, I'd rather be right than wrong. That's how I look at life. Um, then Eugenie Bouchard, when she played Petra Kvitova at, at Wimbledon, I didn't think she had a chance. Kvitova was better than her. It's her best surface. And Eugenie got smoked. Like the match was over in like an hour and 10 minutes. It was, she mopped the floor with her. Bianca changed that narrative. And you got to give credit to her. Because for Dennis, for Felix, who I'll talk about later, who will play tonight, for Layla, she opened up a door and really said, we can do this, Canada. Other Canadian tennis players, we can win these tournaments. Just because we're Canadian and we're known for playing hockey or curling or, you know, our basketball starting against female women's soccer, we can win against these other Great players. It doesn't matter if uh, we're playing Djokovic or if I'm going up against Serena Williams, who, in my opinion, is better than Novak Djokovic. We can beat the, 
We can beat the best in the world. We can be from Canada and win a major. We had never proven that. Nobody had proven that before. She opened up that gate. And we're starting to see these players just do better, better, do better and better in majors. And, you know, last night it was a war where Bianca Andreescu went up against Maria Sakkari of Greece in uh, the second. Uh, we saw Djokovic and Jensen Brooksby play the first match on primetime. But then came Zachary uh, and Bianca. The match went very late, past 2 a.m. local time in New York. And ultimately, Zachary outlasted Bianca. Uh, it, we saw, you know, two first sets go. The first set, Bianca wins in the tie break. Then Zachary wins the second set in a very tight tie break. And in the third set, Bianca just ran out of gas to me. She had a little bit of a calf problem. Again, she likes to... She likes to flare up in injuries. She is injury prone. But to me, Sakri just had more in the tank. Bianca hasn't played a lot of tennis this year. And I don't fault her for that loss last night. It was a marathon. She played three and a half hours. To me, it was a good sign that she played three and a half hours, that she could do it. Um, and yes, she did lose, but she put up a valiant fight. And you got to respect that. And Again, I'm all about winning, as you know, but it's sometimes it's about the process. And for her to get back to a round of 16 after going out in the second round of Australia, first round of French, first round of Wimbledon, just to, to get into the second week of a major is a big deal. And hopefully she can play at Miami later uh, in the fall. And she can have a good tournament there and just show up at these events and play more regularly without injury problems or, you know, whatever else is, what she's, what's plaguing her. But last night was another sign of just, you know, Bianca is still a very good player. She was her first loss at the U S open ever. She had never lost. She was 10 and 0 at the U S open. And so now 10 and one still pretty damn good record, but I kudos to her. She fought hard, you know, Zachary, outlast her and you know good for her for for beating her but um you know it's just incredible to see all the, the canadian tennis and see layla advance she is now waiting she'll play thursday um she'll likely i believe the women's semis will be on thursday both matches so layla will play her next match on thursday the men's semis will be friday uh but so layla We'll play the winner of Barbara Krecheva of the Czech Republic and Arnia Sabalenka of Belarus. And they play first up on prime time. That'll be in about 45 minutes, eight o'clock here, uh, Atlantic time, where Krecheva won the French Open. She's uh, riding a wave. She's been very successful at majors. Sabalenka, I think, is very, she should win a major. She's that good. She's, you know, number two ranked player at this tournament. Um, she's, you know, she's, I picked her to win the French. She bowed out the third round. She made it to the fourth round of Wimbledon. But her fourth round match, she dominated Elise Mertens, who's a, a good player. She's won a doubles championship with. And I think it's a toss-up. Again, both women are very good. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that match go three sets because it, it'll. you'll know how the match is going to go right away because it's Sabalenka – she needs to win that first set. That's key for her because she starts to unravel. She'll start to hit on force errors. 
And then her mind, her mental state is not the best when she gets down points and she gets frustrated, starts yelling at her box. So she is very entertaining to watch because she's got a lot of power, but when it starts to go awry for her, it really takes over and then she becomes a mess on court. So if Kretschewa can up frustrate her early, I think we could see Kretschewa advance to play Layla, but um, we'll, we'll know tonight, the first match on Arthur Ashe Stadium uh, on the prime time tonight, we'll see who Layla Fernandez will play in her first career semifinal on Thursday, September 9th. Tomorrow, the women's semis are Emma Raikanu of, of Great Britain. She's also 18 years old, advancing one of three 18-year-old kids into the quarterfinals here. She'll play Belinda Bencic of Switzerland, who's always gotten close to winning a major but never has. And in the other matchup, it'll be Carolina Pliskova, who's played – I think she's had one of her best years on tour. She made the final at, um, she made the final of uh, Wimbledon, ended up losing to Ash Barty in three sets, but she's only lost two matches this whole summer. She lost in the final at Cincinnati. So she's had a great season thus far and she's played some really quality tennis. So she'll play Zachary, Brad Canoe, Benchich. So looking at the draw, if Kretschewa loses tonight, which, you know, I, I like I like Sabalenka a lot, like I just said, but we'll see what happens. Then we're guaranteed to see another woman, another woman win their first career major. Rackanoo's never been to a quarter. So of course she's never won a major. Benchich has been to a semifinal. She's never been to a major final yet. Pushkiba has been to two major finals, 2016 US Open, then the 2021 Wimbledon. Sakari's been to semifinal at this year's French Open, but she's never won a major. So it could be, you know, this is what women's tennis, this is why women's tennis is so intriguing because you can see women that you never thought would win one, get to a final and win one. Kretschewa was not even on the map this year. Now she's ranked eighth at the U.S. Open. But that, that's what can happen. You know, Layla can put herself on the map in a big way just by winning this tournament. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But congratulations to her. Fantastic match today. Also today, we saw Daniil Medvedev, the world number two, advance to the semifinal. He was uh, ousted in the round of 16 last year. He hit the semifinal in 2019, losing to Rafael Nadal. But he, he defeated Botan uh, van de Schulp of uh, the Netherlands. Great tournament for van de Schulp. He was a qualifier. Wasn't even supposed to make it into you know, He had to qualify just to make the tournament. Never been in New York before. So credit to him for being a wild card and getting this far. But Medvedev is awaiting the winner of Carlos Alcaraz, the 18-year-old Spaniard who's won back-to-back five-set matches, who's another incredible story, and Felix Auger-Aliassime of Canada. Felix beat Francis Tiafo the other night on prime time to advance to this match. And to me, this is Felix's big opportunity. You know, if he wins this match tonight, which I think he will, He's got to play Medvedev and he'll go in a heavy underdog, but like Layla Fernandez, she's been an underdog the last three matches. And guess what? She's won them all. You want to put yourself in a position to at least be there. Shabavalov lost in straight sets to Djokovic, but he put up a good fight and it was good learning experience. And I think it made the world of tennis really see Dennis as a future, you know, potential player to win a major. I believe Felix is better than Dennis. I think he's a more consistent player and I like his chances of winning one potentially as soon as this week. 
you know, more than Dennis. I think Felix has potential of winning more majors than Chabavalov, even though I think Chabavalov is one of, is probably the funnest player to watch on tour right now. And he's a very good player as well. But Felix has an 18 year old who's played two five set matches back to back. He's played a lot of tennis. You got to think this guy's going to be running on fumes. And for Felix, you've made the, made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. You've been in these major, you've been in majors before. You know what to experience. Alcaraz is 18. He's riding a wave of momentum here. We've seen an 18 year old already win one to, you know, in, in Layla, but for Ali Asim, win tonight and you put yourself in a position to play Medvedev and then you see what happens. Yeah. You'll be a heavy underdog, but you, if you go into a match thinking you're going to lose, you'll lose. And I think for him, just getting to a semifinal, be his first career major semifinal, that's great experience. Who knows what happens? And then you see, you take it from there. And, um, yeah, I, I, I expect a good match tonight. I think Alcaraz is not going to go down without a fight. We've seen these, these players come out of nowhere and they don't like to go down. You know, uh, Brooksby, Jensen, the American last night played Djokovic and Djokovic won in four sets, but it was no, it was not an easy match for Djokovic because Brooksby is an irritant. He's, he's a guy that just so, he's so, uh, he plays with such a, he's just a weird guy. And he mixes up his serve. And we've seen a lot of long, you know, long service games where Djokovic won, won I believe, over 30, 30 points. And I was, it was just incredible to watch. But these younger players, they just play with a sense of freedom. And, and it's really, it's good to see. But I think Felix will advance to a semifinal. So I think we will see two, uh, two Canadians in the semifinals come tomorrow. Uh, obviously, Felix will play Friday, Layla Saturday. On the other side of the draw, tomorrow's quarterfinals will be Sasha Zverev played Lloyd Harris. He beat Raleigh Opelka yesterday. Uh, Zverev, heavy favorite, but Lloyd Harris has had a great summer as well. These two men have been two of the, had two of the best summers on tour, quite frankly. Uh, Zverev won the gold medal at, uh, in Beijing. He's not lost a match uh, since. And then you got uh, Harris, who, you know, he has a – He's made it to uh, the final in Washington, made it to the quarterfinal at the Rogers Cup and at Cincinnati. He's starting to rise in the rankings, quarterfinal here to major. And then the other semifinal tomorrow, we'll see world number one, Novak Djokovic play Matteo Berrettini. Now this is the rematch of the Wimbledon final that Djokovic won in four sets. He's three wins away from the career, the, uh, the year slam where he would have won the Australian Open, the French, Wimbledon, and the U.S. in one year. An, an incredible feat if he does it. Again, he's three wins away from doing it. He'll be favored in every match. The most interesting matchup will be playing Zverev, because Zverev beat him in the semifinals at the Olympics. Djokovic was looking to win every major and then the Olympic gold medal. Zverev put a halt to that and ended up winning the gold medal for Germany. So I'd love to see that that matchup because I think Djokovic wants some retaliation. I think he, you know, obviously he would love to win everything. He's a very competitive guy. So that, that match would be fun as well to see those two go at it and see what happens. But like I said, this major has been incredible. Uh, this, the upsets, the, the, the level of play is so high players just coming out of nowhere and doing things you don't expect of them, you know, like qualifiers, like Leila Fernandez, 
And good on the U.S. Open because you get prime time every night. It keeps you interested. And I think it's growing. It's growing the sport. Because after Layla won this afternoon, you know, a big, a big person, a big personality, and one of the great NBA players of all time, Irvin Magic Johnson, tweeted out about Layla Fernandez, saying how exciting she was. She's taking over the tennis world. And you know, how he's rooting for her to, to win. I mean, that's an American cheering for a Canadian, a young Canadian girl. And to have that kind of platform, to have Urban, to have uh, Trey Young in the basketball world talk about, you know, tennis is actually really starting to excite me. I'm, I, they got a new fan. So the U.S. Open does more to promote the sport than any other major. Wimbledon might be the most elegant, the best major uh, by some. But when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to viewing, it's you're in the States. You know, you're getting in Australia, you're 12 hours behind. You got to watch matches uh, eight, eight o'clock in the morning till, you know, 6, 6 a.m. It's hard to get people to watch that consistently. It's, again, it's tough. French and England, again, the, the times aren't the best for people to be watching. In the States, you know, you're getting two matches every night. You're done from work, you're home for the night, you can put your feet up. You got two tennis matches there sitting, waiting for you to watch. So, um, looking forward to the matches tonight. Obviously, uh, uh, like I said, you got Krecheva, Sabalenka first at eight, and then you got Felix Ogier, and Carlos Alcaraz, which will follow the uh, second women's quarterfinal of the day. So, great, great tennis so far, and it's been so fun to watch. Since Friday, when I, or since Saturday morning, since Friday night, when I talked about the Toronto Blue Jays, they've gone on a tear. They've won five in a row. They put up 40, 40 runs in the last four games. And that includes yesterday thumping the New York Yankees 8-0. And Hyunjin Ryu went six innings, had a really solid start. I don't know why they pulled him after six because the game was not out of hand. But you saw Vladimir Guerrero Jr. get to 40 home runs. You saw Marcus Simeon set a Blue Jays record for most home runs in a season by a second baseman when he hit his 36th and 37th yesterday, including a grand slam in the eighth inning. Uh, but it's, they've been on a tear. And yesterday they get another, a good day where they play the Yankees. So they beat them straight up. And then the Red Sox had a crazy game of the Tampa Bay race where the Red Sox ended up losing an extra innings, 11, 10 after some heroics from uh, deadline acquisition, Nelson Cruz. But we sit now, the Jays have three more games against the Yankees this week. They got the better pitching. Their bats are on fire, so it bodes well for them. But they are, you know, they're uh, trying to track down the Yankees and the Red Sox. The Jays are three games back. And to be, you know, they're in a much better position than they were Friday. And it takes a few games to get back. But again, they play Baltimore this week, and you play, they still play Minnesota down the stretch, who aren't very good. They do play the Yankees again. They play. The Rays, which are is a tough opponent. So it's not an easy schedule down the stretch here. But I give them credit. It's a young team. I, you know, I think people are already saying Marcus Simeon is gone after this season, which I don't know why he would be from management. I don't care what the money is. You, you bring him back. Yeah. Okay. There's a luxury tax in baseball. Pay for it. If you want to be a team that wins, you got Bo Bichette, you got Vladdy Jr., they're not making big money. You know, they're, they're making their, their rookie deals. Go all in here. Bring back Robbie Ray. Bring back Marcus Simeon. Acquire a new pitcher. Try to, uh, get, try to lure Max Scherzer. 
in, in the offseason. Maybe he doesn't want to come to Canada to get, but at least make an offer to the guy. But I have to give credit where credit's due, and that is them fighting. And I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to give the credit to myself, too. I'm, I'm motivating this team. That comeback Friday night I thought was very putrid. And it's still maybe if, if they – this is the thing. It's great right now, but if they finish one game out of the wild card race and they miss the playoffs, then it was putrid. And I was right because it's like being a point. I remember as a kid, and this is when I used to root for teams, I was rooting for the Leafs. Thanks, mom and dad. But they were playing the Islanders and they needed to win the, they needed the Islanders to lose. But it went to a shootout and the Islanders won in a shootout to advance to get the eight seed. Toronto didn't get it. Now at the time, I'm thinking, oh, Toronto missed the playoffs eight seed. They would have got dumped anyway. But it's it's things like this where you're one point away, oh, what could have been? And maybe it could have been a magic carpet ride. I doubt it. But and that's the thing. You need to get in. You need to get into the playoffs. And that this is the big biggest week of their season. You've got three more against the Yankees. And just looking at the pitching matchups, because Baseball, if that's what it comes down to, more often than not. Tonight, you got Steven Matz against Garrett Cole. That's going to be the toughest matchup of this series because Garrett Cole is one of the three best pitchers in baseball. Uh, but, you know, he's not having his greatest season. Steven Matz is not exactly, uh, you know, Cy Young. So tough matchup there, but you never, your bats have been playing well. Steven Matz just play decent, stay in the game. Then you got Alex Manoa, who's been pretty fantastic against Luis Gill, who's only made one start. So I like the Jays' chances. Manoa is either fantastic or he blows up. So you got to hope he has a good start. And you got one more at Yankee Stadium on Thursday. you got Jose Barrios against Jordan Montgomery. That's pretty much an even. Uh, Barrios had a a decent start his last one out against um, Oakland. So that was promising to see him at least pitch well, not get knocked around. Montgomery's been actually one of the more consistent pitchers for the Yankees this season. They haven't had a lot of great starting pitching depth. So you don't, you don't get uh, Robbie Ray in, in this series, which does hurt you. It would be nice to have him pitch, but Manoa, you acquired Barrios to, to pitch in these type of situations. You're playing the Yankees. You need a win. He needs to deal. He needs to pitch well and win that game. Quite frankly, that that's just the way it is. And you need to continue to see, Vladdy come up big. Marcus Simeon hit well. Teoscar Hernandez. But I mean, it's the usual characters. And starting pitching has to go deep. You do not want to rely on this bullpen. And yesterday they're winning the game four nothing. In this after the sixth inning, Hinjin Ryu pitched a great game. But he's only had, I believe, like 80 pitches, maybe less than that, 77 pitches. And he gets pulled out of the game with a four-nothing lead. Now they go on to win the game eight nothing. That's besides the point right now. In the seventh inning, they're only up four nothing. The fact that he didn't pitch the seventh inning is really incredible to me. I do not know how you have an ace who you're paying like a number one starter, even though he isn't, but you're paying him like he is, and he doesn't. He's not able to pitch seven innings. You have a bullpen that is about as reliable as. Hmm. How can I define that? What's an analogy I can use today to reliable as like the girlfriend that you have. That's only around on like Sunday nights. 
you know, I'm busy. I want to hang out. No, I got plans. You know, she's, she's doing other things and they're not with you. So you put two and two together. She's doing them with somebody else. So you go to a bullpen. That's been a disaster and say, give me three innings. That's not a, that's a day where you, you can get two innings. You can go, okay, who do we want? Who do we trust in this scenario? Do we go to Joachim Soria? Maybe. Again, you don't have a lot of trust there. You know you're going to Romano in the ninth, which I totally agree with. He's your closer. Maybe he's not your closer of the future, but he's your guy now. So go to him then. But I, I just find it baffling to me that – you go to a bullpen in that situation that you don't need to go to. It just makes no sense. Maybe you go to Trevor Richards like they did yesterday and you go to that, but it, it just makes no sense to me that you go to a bullpen that's been a failure all season. Go Ryu seven, then go Adam Simber, then go Romano. Get the game over on to Tuesday. Now, if they're pit- they're gonna hope their pitching holds up, batting batters hold up. Uh, they didn't announce today that George Springer is out of tonight's game. He fouled the ball off his knee in the eighth inning yesterday, left the game. So Corey Dickerson is going to play center field. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, the, the catcher, is going to play DH tonight. So Springer Springer doesn't look healthy. Doesn't look like he should be playing. So really, this isn't that big of a loss to me because he's not 100%. I'd rather play Alejandro Kirk. I'd rather give Randall Grichik who. You know, Mr. Double Play, more, more any, more at bats than, than Springer right now because he just isn't healthy. Playing a guy, playing an ineffective player is not a smart strategy at this point of the season. You need to put your best of it, your best team on the field. And yes, he's in a designated hitter position, but at the same time, he's not giving you anything. So go to a guy that can at least bat that's comfortable in the box. And to me, he doesn't look comfortable right now. So. Big series. You know, you got an opportunity. You're playing the Yankees, who you're chasing. The Red Sox have the Rays. That's a very tough series. The Rays, just because they have a huge lead in the AL East, they're not giving up. Kevin Cash is a, is a manager that says, we're going to go out there and try to win every game. If we can screw the Red Sox while we do it, great. And, you know, they do it yesterday coming, you know, coming from behind three different times in the game and ultimately winning it, including Austin Meadows hitting inside the park home run in the top of the ninth. So... We'll see what happens there. Um, the National League West continues to remain interesting. The San Francisco Giants hold a one-game lead over the Los Angeles Dodgers. Both teams getting win yesterday. San Fran beating Colorado 10-5. The Dodgers beating uh, St. Louis 5-1. to um, This is going to be a battle till the end. Uh, San Francisco got a huge win on Sunday, you know, beating up Walker Bueller, giving him six earned runs. But I think we'll see this to the end of the season where these teams are going to be battling. Tonight, again, Dodgers at Cardinals. Corey Knable has been a really good ad for them. He's kind of a, a bullpen arm that they switched. It's bullpen start. We'll pitch against St. Louis, Jay Happ of St. Louis. And then you got San Francisco tonight, Logan Webb, who's been fantastic, will go against Chi-Chi Gonzalez. So on paper, it's a tougher series for the Dodgers because the Cardinals are – they're trying to make the playoffs. They're still in the wild card hunt in the National League. The National League wild card is becoming more and more interesting because the Padres are back in front. They hold a one-game lead over Cincinnati. Cincinnati got 
lost yesterday to the Chicago Cubs, who after trading off all their players at the deadline, they're now in a heater. They've won eight in a row, and it's just crazy to me. That, you know, they beat Cincinnati in a huge game. Philly trails San Diego by two games. They, they really they got the easiest schedule remaining in baseball. They play a lot against the Marlins. They, I believe they play uh, against uh, the Rockies down the stretch. So they got some easy series. Just looking up their next couple of series being two games back. Yeah, they got the Rockies this weekend. Favorable series on paper. And you should get some wins there. Then they have, I'm sure they play the Nationals down the stretch as well, which will only help their case. Then they got the Cubs. And the Cubs are on a heater, but on paper they stink. Uh, and then they go and play the Mets. Again, it's a tougher series, but again, that's not out of the realm of possibility that you get a win. But you look at it, the, the Phillies have a good chance of coming back here. St. Louis trails the, uh, by San Diego by three and a half. So huge series for them against the Dodgers. You know, if they lose all four this week, they're done. You know, they'll be out of it. And the Mets trail them by four and a half. So the, the, it looked for a while that it was just a two-horse race, but teams have started to climb back in it. You got uh, Philly and New York who are also trailing Atlanta and National League East. So every series matters and every game matters. Only There's less than 30 games remaining for every team, and it's a battle down the stretch here to see who can, who can get in who won't. Can Joey Votto propel the, the Cincinnati Reds to the playoffs? I think if he gets them to the playoffs, he wins National League MVP. He may win it anyway, but if he gets a Cincinnati team to the playoffs where they, he's, they've been a really a poor franchise for a long time, they lost Trevor Bauer in the offseason, they didn't really add anything of substance, and he has a great season and you know, career on base percentage and, and everything like that, I think we'll see you know, another Canadian succeed here, Joey Votto, win the National League MVP. But you know, interesting down the stretch, we'll keep updating this as we go, but you know, the three most interesting things right now for me, you got American League wildcard, the National League West, and the National League wildcard, because you never know what's going to happen. And every game has importance. Like I said, every pitching matchup is important. And if we can keep these matchups, you know, very interesting down the stretch in the last couple weeks of the season, it's even more compelling. If you see the Blue Jays play well, if you see, um, you see uh, Seattle continue to play. They got crushed last night by Houston. But if they play consistent baseball, then they're in the mix. They're in the fight. Then it's you know even more interesting down the stretch and see what happens there. So we'll see, we'll see what happens down the stretch here. But uh, interesting things for sure. NFL is just two days away. Uh, can you believe it? Uh, two, two sleeps, and then we'll see the Dallas Cowboys play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I've talked about, we, I did a season preview show on the podcast with Matt Wright. I've talked uh, football with a number of different people. But I really thought about the opening night matchup today. And it's Cowboys versus Buccaneers. And on paper, it's easy. Why is this the first matchup? The Dallas Cowboys are the biggest draw in all of sports, you could say. They're the most valuable franchise in, the, in all of the world. Yet, why are the Cowboys playing? It's opening night. People are going to watch football on opening night regardless because there hasn't been football. There hasn't been NFL football, regular season football since February. That's a long time. There's interest. People want to watch. But then I look and I say, 
okay, beyond, I think people are going to watch this. So why couldn't you put Bill's Bucks? The Bills are playing the Buccaneers in December. Why couldn't you put Rams versus Buccaneers? Rams are visiting the Buccaneers on September 26th. You got Jared Goff and a new location playing, you know, arguably uh, most people see that the Rams is the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, roadblock from Tom Brady capturing his eighth Super Bowl in, in the NFC. Wouldn't that be a great way to start the year? Um, but the Cowboys. And I read this this morning, and it's super interesting. In the last 10 years, there have been three teams that have played opening night after missing the playoffs. The Dallas Cowboys have two of those games. They missed the playoffs last year, finished 6-10. and 10. They missed the playoffs in 2019, 8-8. Eight and, eight. and yet they're playing on opening night. Normally, the matchup is maybe a repeat of the Super Bowl, or at least you see a team that had a great season. Like maybe you see, uh, I could see Cleveland playing because they had a really a great season. But no, the Dallas Cowboys, who have been America's team and they get all this pub for all the wrong reasons. They haven't won. They haven't been to an NFC championship game since 1995. I wasn't born in 1995. Since Barry Switzer won the Super Bowl after they fired Jimmy Johnson, they have won three playoff games. Three. Yet, this team is on primetime, a solo stage game. And you put them on opening night. And it's just idiotic to me. I get it. It's the Cowboys and it's Jerry Jones, but... Why? And I honestly think this is stupid from the NFL because people are going to watch the Cowboys on a Sunday. Sunday afternoon at 525 kickoff, people will watch the Cowboys. The top five ranked games last year when it comes to viewership, the Cowboys had four of them. So why waste a game that's going to be highly watched anyway on opening night? People are going to watch football. There has been no football. The ranking, the ratings for college football this weekend were through the roof. The CFL uh, ratings are up 15% from 2019. When there's no football, people crave it. It's the most popular sport in North America. As a frequent viewer and a guy who just bought game field pass for the first time in his life, I know I'm crazy because I bought it so I can rewatch games during the week. Yes. I'm going to watch a game on my TV on Sundays, then throw a game on my laptop. So watch two at once. And then during the week to see how I, how I like teams, offense, defense, different plays for the podcast. And just for my own enjoyment, I'm going to rewatch games. Now I have a, I have a grander scheme thing. I want to, I think I know the game pretty well, but I want to learn it better. I, I want to watch certain things. But again, it's not, it's not for free. Um, and I, um, yeah. So it, I, I just look at it. It's just such a waste to me. People are going to watch this anyway. And, you know, it was so funny because Dak Prescott talked about, uh, you know, 
love playing in prime time. And he said, you know, it's a great start of the season. You know, we got you got Tampa Bay coming in fresh off winning a Super Bowl. And then you got us, um, you know, fans in the stands. Yeah, that's all they can say. Because last year was a disaster for them. They had nothing last year. They've had nothing forever. The only thing the the Dallas Cowboys can honestly say is that they are America's team. When I think that's ridiculous because I think the New England Patriots are America's team. Or Green Bay, for that matter. Green Bay started the NFL. It's called the Lombardi Trophy. It's not called uh, the Jerry Jones Trophy. Or even the Jimmy Johnson. You know? And also... Wouldn't you want the first game of your season to be competitive? And maybe I'll be wrong, and maybe the Cowboys will make this a really entertaining game. But I think they're going to get destroyed. On paper, this is going to be a flat-out disaster. And yes, Tom Brady has had slow starts. Usually early on the season, he's a slow starter. But he's coming back with the exact same offense. In New England, even after winning a Super Bowl, he's having new parts move in. You got to learn, Those guys need to learn offense. He needs to get a... a cohesion and a chemistry with him he's played with full season with mike evans played a full season with chris godwin he's played 10 years with gronk he's played two and a half with antonio brown he's got fournette back he's got rojo he's got everybody back cameron Brait, scotty miller the entire defense which should have won as a collective unit super bowl mvp not tom brady is back Shaq Barrett, Devin White, Levante David, and Donna Sue, Vita Vea. They're all back. And, you know, if, you're, if you hate the Dallas Cowboys, then I, I encourage you to tune in. I'm going to watch this game, of course. I'm going to watch it Friday. But why? Why is this the first game of the season? At least put a team on that did better. From the year before, you know, put a team on that had that that had some success. You know, maybe. No, okay. I just look at. I look at their. I'm gonna just bear with me. Let me go through their schedule. Let me just go through the box. Falcons. No, I'm not with the Falcons. They stink. But no. Just as bad as the Cowboys, if you ask me. Then the Rams, that's an easy one. That should be uh, that should be the game. I mean, that, to me, that should be the game. Um, Patriots. Be fun. I mean, it'll be fun in Sunday Night Football, too. Don't get me wrong, but that'd be fun. That'd be a good game. Dolphins, nah. Well, they were 10 and 6. Cowboys were 6 and 10. Make a little more sense. Battle. You get the two uh, Tampa teams. Eagles, no, the Eagles stink. Um, we go Bears. Bears would even be better. The Bears made the playoffs. If they would have played Justin Fields, the Bears beat Tampa Bay last year. Tom Brady, remember when you put the hands up? Fifth down, fourth down, what, what is it? That's more intriguing. You have the Saints in your division. They played in the playoffs again. That would have been nice. They play week eight. And I, I won't bore you with the whole schedule here but it, I, I, to me it's just it's so stupid how, how they did this washington they played in the playoffs i, I would have been fine Fitzmagic, magic he beat tom brady a few years ago 
uh, Giants. No, but you know, I'm not going to go through their whole schedule here. But you know, I just basically did. But it's just it's mind boggling to me that, and I would get it. People, I'm sure you're a tort listening to this. Is well, it's the Dallas Cowboys about ratings. You're going to get ratings regardless. It's week one, game one. I could see it. Put that game in mid-November on Fox because then that's when you need the ratings. People are maybe a little fatigued. They're like, oh, NFL is three months in. Again, that, people that say that, oh, you hurt my heart. But if you need, you know, if you need those Cowboys to tune in and get thumped by Tampa, then do it then. But Again, I'm still going to watch the game, but I thought thought I'd talk about why the hell is this team in in the opening night. But I said last week on the preview show, don't be surprised if Tom Brady wins MVP this year. It's my pick. Um, I just look at his weapons. I look at their schedule, and I like his chance. I think they're going to have a very good record. I think they're going to be the top seed in the NFC. That helps. And... I, I just, I like, I liked I mean, Tom Brady at 44. Again, winning, award, winning awards is about story as well. And what, what's a better story than a 44 year old quarterback winning an MVP award? Again, I don't think Tom Brady is the best quarterback ever. I think Joe Montana is. However, I do respect the hell out of Tom Brady and what he's done in his career. And I respect him enough that I'm going to pick him to win the MVP this year. I think Josh Allen's a good pick. Like he's the, the betting favorite for sure. After his year last year, he looks like he's going to, he's blossoming. He's going to break through. The Bills are going to have a great season. I think that's going to be a tight division though. But um, we'll see. But Tom Brady's my pick for MVP. Um, not going to go too much longer than the, on the pod. Uh, saw some really good sports yesterday as well on, on Labor Day. Saw some good CFL action. But the Baltimore Ravens, I talked about. Um, throughout training camp, but just their injury woes and how it's been a tough season to be a Baltimore Ravens skill position player where Rashad Bateman was injured in training camp. Uh, Hollywood Brown was injured. And then it's just been a disaster for the running back room where in the last preseason game, J.K. Dobbins tears his ACL on a cut. And then in practice last Thursday, their backup running back, Justice Hill, tore his Achilles. So now on the roster, they have Gus Edwards, but they're getting very thin behind him. So yesterday they worked out veterans, Le'Veon Bell, formerly of the Pittsburgh Steelers and New York Jets, and Devontae Freeman, who played for Atlanta for a long time, then was with the Giants last year. But for Bal- I'm starting to get worried with Baltimore because you're in a tough division with Cleveland, who I think is the best team. Pittsburgh is no slouch. They're getting really disrespected so far. In my opinion. I think Pittsburgh is going to be better than people think. I think Ben still has a little left in the tank, enough to put a good season together, potentially get back to the playoffs. But when you have to go to Le'Veon Bell, when that's where you're at in your organization, that Le'Veon Bell is the guy that you have to call to get work, that concerns me a lot because he was cooked a few years ago. In New York, he was cooked. And with Kansas City, when they went on their Super Bowl run, he didn't do anything. He, was, he, he wasn't dressed in the NFC Championship in the Super Bowl game. That tells you what he has left. Devontae Freeman's been just injury plague. He's tore his Achilles in his career. He's broken his, uh, broke his foot. He's had Liz Frank. The guy's just been battered around. So 
You don't have a whole lot of weapons. And they did re-sign Mark Andrews yesterday, their star tight end out of the University of Oklahoma, which is a good signing. He's, a, I think, the key leader of this team. I, I think he is the leader of this team, especially on offense. But if you have to turn to Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, it, it's going to be difficult. And, you know, running back is, is an important position on this team. You know, Lamar is a running back by proxy, but you don't want him running as much as he has in prior years. You want him to develop. You want him to get to be a better pocket passer, at least improve when he gets out of the pocket, throwing on the move. That's where Patrick Mahomes is most dangerous. You want Mahomes to stay in the pocket. You know, Mahomes is the best quarterback in football. But when he breaks out of the pocket and he's throwing on the run, throwing down the field 65 yards, that's when he's the most dangerous. When you keep him in the pocket, you'd, you'd honestly rather have him there. And for, for Lamar, you want him to, you don't want him to be, I don't think he's ever going to be Patrick Mahomes when it comes to throwing the football, but if he can at least improve on that and how he does it and how, how he looks at it, but it's going to be difficult to do when Hollywood Brown's injury play, he'll likely play game one. That was of today. Uh, he'll likely play Monday night against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Rashad Bateman, unlikely to play. And you're going to have Gus Edwards. You'll still have Nick Boyle who emerged as a good receiving threat last year, but Again, it's a lot of pressure on Lamar. You're going to need the Baltimore defense to be stout, which it always is under uh, John Harbaugh. But um, I, I look at this team and say, I don't love it. And you're in a very tough division. And you need they, they're going to need to get wins against teams like Vegas, against these other teams that they should win. You can't falter because I don't see a team like Cleveland stumbling much. Can they start against Kansas City? That's a tough way to start your season. I think they can win that game. Uh, you know, looking, it's tough because you start for them. They go to Kansas City. That's not an easy. That's not an easy game. But uh, you know, Cle- Cleveland's got the best roster in football, in my opinion. You start for for Baltimore. You start at the Raiders, then you play the Chiefs. Hmm. Yeah, it's at home. But Lamar's never beaten a Patrick Mahomes in his career. When the Browns play the Texans the next week, Steelers play the Raiders. So then Browns, Bears, I like the Browns. For the Ravens, they play – let's see what they play here. They play the Lions. Again, that's an, that should be an easy win. But I'm just saying it's tough you know, with a, with a roster that's not loaded with talent. And I, I just think there's two teams that have a little more talent than they do right now. And I'm not saying Ben's a better quarterback than Lamar because I don't think he is. And personally, I don't think Baker's proven that he's better than Lamar yet. Baker's never won MVP. Lamar Jackson is an MVP of the NFL. Nobody can take that away from him. But when you have more, when it's, one team has more weapons, better protection than Baltimore, it, makes, it starts to make you think about what this team can do. So Baltimore's in a world of hurt. We'll see what they can do Monday. Um, the Houston Texans this is the last thing today. They officially named Tyrod Taylor quarterback one. We thought this would happen. Deshaun Watson's likely going to be a healthy scratch. And it doesn't look like he's going to be put on the commissioner's exempt list. It just looks like the Houston Texans are doing the NFL a favor without making them step in and do this. So he's still got a bunch of court cases he's got to deal with. Uh, that's only scheduled for, he's only scheduled to be disposed, uh, deposed in February. So that's after the season's over. So my, I think this year he's just going to sit on the bench for for Houston be the third string quarterback likely be uh, inactive all season and basically sit out the entire year 
and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So sit, seeing a star quarterback sit out the entire year is tough. But if he's found not guilty, then next season, I think we'll yeah, before the draft, I think we'll see teams really try to push to acquire him. The Miami Dolphins stumble this season and Tua is not their guy. Then Miami can pull, put all the chips in the middle. They acquire Deshaun. If the Eagles struggle, which I think they will, and Jalen Hurts is not the answer, then they could put a, a package together to acquire Deshaun Watson. The Denver Broncos, who I think are very close to being Super Bowl con- contenders, they should be in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. So we'll see what happens. But uh, Tyrod Taylor, who's started in Baltimore as Joe Flacco's backup, then went to Buffalo, Cleveland Chargers, is now a, a starting quarterback again, this time with the Houston Texans. Um. Programming note, I'll be back tomorrow with Seamus. We'll be doing our Breaking Bad uh, Season 4 Episode 1 recap. And the second half of the show, like we did last week, we will talk about the second half of the Pacific Division offseason in the NHL. We'll talk about Seattle, Anaheim, LA, San Jose. So basically, um, out in Cali and Seattle. So we'll touch on that. And then Sunday, I'll be doing a live show. It'll be on Facebook and then it'll be uh, a podcast later in the day. I'll, I'll put it on both. But every every Sunday, I'm going to be doing a live show right here on Facebook Live, 11 a.m., where um, I talk with a guest. Some might be by myself some Sundays. I'm hoping to get a guest as often as I can. We'll talk about uh, the news and notes around the NFL, the games that I previewed, previewed the day. And Adam Beers is going to be back this week. Um, we're going to talk every you know, preview of the games. I mentioned Browns, Chiefs. We great game. You got Rams, Bears, Sunday Night Football. I'm sure we'll get into Adams, Detroit Lions with Jared Goff, now a quarterback. We'll recap the Cowboys Buccaneers game. Uh, we'll talk. Uh, his wife, Melissa, is a big Jets fan. So we'll talk about Sam Darnold hosting the Jets in week one. So we'll go through it all, talk about the major storylines. We'll get some of Adams' predictions, who we see, who he sees winning the Super Bowl, MVP, things of that nature. So we'll, we'll, we'll go into that, but, um, wait for that on Sunday. I do. I will be on the road this week after tomorrow. I'm heading to Fredericton for a few days, but I do plan to podcast on Friday morning after the NFL game, uh, might be, uh, from location from a hotel room, but, um, expect the podcast Friday, uh, at, at some point. So, uh, everybody, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, enjoy the tennis tonight. Felix will be on court after the women's match, but enjoy it all. Enjoy the baseball, whatever you're planning on doing this evening. But as always, thanks for the support. Stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, I'll talk soon.